Hello, you are listening to a mini episode of Desi Geek Girls. My name is Preeti Chibber, and I am delighted to say that I am here with Sujata Day, writer, director, and star of the award-winning Definition Please, which is currently streaming on Netflix. And so here I am with Sujata Day. Hi. Hi, Preeti. How are you today? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So it has, you have had a pretty big week, which is really exciting. It's been a big week. It's been fun. It's, it really feels like a culmination of a ton of hard work. So I'm appreciating it, appreciating it, loving all the reactions and basking in it a little bit. It's really exciting because we've known each other for, for quite a few years. And so it's been fun watching you go on this journey. And, and like you said, like watching this culmination happen is exciting from the out, like from the outside. Like I can't even really imagine what it's like on the inside. Yeah. It does feel like a lot of people who have been on this journey with us are feeling it as well, which is really awesome. Just from, you know, shooting it in the summer of 2019 to post-production to, uh, finishing the film and then COVID hitting and us not being able to do a full film festival run. Um, but we, you know, pivoted to the virtual film festivals and it worked out in our favor. It was a really good decision that we made. I think there were a lot of films at the same time that were holding off on doing a virtual film festival run. And, and I'm glad we didn't do that because we, we started to get the reviews in the press right away, which was like, oh, cool. This is like a nice burst of positive energy in an otherwise apocalyptic situation. <laughs> and so that, that raised our spirits and kept us going and we kept pushing through. And then we, we just had a couple live screenings here and there. We had a really fun one at Austin Asian American Film Festival where it was outside and on a farm and it was a drive-in. There were Texas Longhorns grazing in the background and I had no <laughs> idea they were that big. <laughs> like you know the size of a cow um, and they definitely are not so yeah we just had you know really great journey with the movie I guess take me back to the beginning of definition please like take me sort of like through everything I mean it's a big question but I kind of because it's it's an interesting story because you like you said you filmed this back in 2019 and now it's 20. 22 when it premiered on Netflix. So like, that's a pretty long amount of time because you filmed it so long ago, like kind of walk me through what that process was like as someone who not only starred in the film, but wrote and directed, like, this is a, this is a heart project for you. Yeah. I, I mean, the initial idea came from me winning a class spelling bee and then going on to regionals and losing in the first round on the word radish, because Ugh. I spelled it. Yeah. Did you, do you have a word that you oh, lost? Pronunciation is <gasps> the word. I like didn't, I, I don't remember how old I was, but I feel like we all have that, like, <laughs> we have that word that we'll never forget. We all remember it. We all remember it. I was just talking to an older gentleman the other day. And he said he was doing the spelling bees when it was just on the radio. And, <laughs> and his word that he lost out on was bicentennial. <gasps> and you'll always remember that moment yep. for the rest of your life. Yep. And obviously I did. So 
I went on to be in a sketch writing, a UCB sketch writing class in 2015, Upright Citizens Brigade. And we had to write a bunch of sketches. So one of my sketches was titled, Where Are They Now Spelling Bee Winners? And if you Google them, they're all, you know, working at NASA or designing robots <laughs> or winning the world poker tour because they're good with numbers too. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, my punchline is going to be that one of these winners grew up to not do anything at all. She didn't live up to her potential. She is living at home. She's doing drugs. She's hanging out with her neighborhood friends and kind of a bum. So that was the, that four page sketch was the initial germ of definition plays the feature film so in 2016 I did a Sundance screenwriting lab for a different project and then in 2017 I went to the Sundance Film Festival for the first time as one of their influencers (laughs) really cool actually it was really awesome to go to Sundance for the first time as as you know, being employed by them because I got to go to all these cool insider events with the directors and the filmmakers and get to talk to them and, um, you know, interview them over IG or Twitter or whatever. So it was really, really great way to experience the festival for the first time. And my friend Justin Chan's film Gook was playing there and I was blown away by it. And so I pretty much cornered him at his premiere party and asked him how he got it made. And he said, I just uh, asked my friends and family for money and just made it, you know, on a shoestring budget. And I was like, oh, cool. All right. Well, that's what I'm going to do. So I went back home. So this is like mid 2017, started writing the feature version of Definition Please and pulling from, you know, my friends and family's experiences growing up in suburb of Pennsylvania and then had you know worked on rewrites had a decent draft by 2018 and then sort of soft pitching at places um it's it's just tough in general to pitch a family dramedy you know if you don't have celebrities attached to it Mm -hmm. um marriage story is only going to get made with adam driver and scarlett johansson right you know so so it was just like people love the script but they were like ah like this is not for us we're not going to make this and so i was like okay and then in 2019 i went back to sundance this time with hbo and then justin's next film ms purple was playing there and i was like beating myself up. I was like, Justin's made two movies and I've made zero. And that was the kick in the pants that I needed to to just be like, all right, I'm going to make it this summer. Mm -hmm. And I think Ms. Purple was even done on a lesser budget than Gook. So I was like, I have no excuse to not make this movie. So decided then and there I was going to make and shoot Definition Please summer of 2019. And I got a serendipitous call saying that a show that I had sold previously was being, the rights were being returned back to me because it got caught up in the Time Warner merger. Mm. And along with the rights, I was getting a huge check. And I was like, what? 
I guess nice. I'm here. <laughs> so, so then I was the first money into my movie. I was the first investor. I just put that entire check into my film. And then after that, the next like three or four months was just me. Um, I don't know if I was like talking to you at the time, but I, everyone that I was getting coffee with or lunch with, I was like, Hey, you want to put money into my movie? <laughs> and if you can't, do you know someone who would want to invest in a movie? And that's how I raised the rest of the money. And then we just went and shot it. And, and that was it. That's amazing. Like that's, I think there is such a mystery around the, the business side of creating art, right? It's like, if you like, how do you do it? And it's literally for you is like hustling and, and kind of getting your feet on the ground and literally just being like, I'm going to ask, I'm just going to ask, like having that level of, uh, confidence in, in the work you're creating. Right. Like that's so hard to do, I think. I mean, it's not fun asking people for money. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not a fun part of the job, but, but I had my sight set on a goal and honestly, the worst thing people could do was say no mm-hmm. or, oh, well, I don't have, cause you know, like I'm, I'm friends with a lot of actors. We can't really afford to put <laughs> money into movies, but they would be like, especially a lot of the you know, our brown community, they'd be like, well, I can't, but guess what? I have mm-hmm. a freaking dentist or a doctor cousin or, um, you know, a real, a best friend that's in finance. So um, what was really cool is a lot of our investors came from the black and brown community. That's, that's amazing. Um, you mentioned it, the kind of, taking, you know, influence from your friends and your family when you're pulling their experiences and, and using, you know, using them to inform the way you're writing this movie. Monica was such a familiar character to me, which is not, I think, even now, like something that I'm used to saying. And she really felt like a real person where her identity mattered and it was important, but it was a piece of who she was, right? And a very brief aside to say that Puja scene I like teared up at the familiarity of it, of like the realness of that moment of like your sibling who's like interrupting and like your mom who's like, oh my God, stop talking while the pundit is doing the puja to the like Brennam, like the arti, all of it was so like, this isn't, this isn't part of the question. It's just me being like, well, just oh, FYI, so that's a real priest. That was, nah. Yeah. So what happened was I was looking for, you know, an actor to play <laughs> the priest. And then I, I hit up a, an old friend of mine who has, who still has connections to our SV and North Indian temples. <laughs> over there. So then, so then, and, and the character was written as like an older priest that we grew up, you know, yeah, being around. And then he was like, Hey, there's like a cool young priest at the temple. <laughs> that's like totally wants to be in the movies. And, and is it cool if it's a younger priest? And, and I was like, yes, that sounds amazing. And then he came and he came with all of his own props, you know, the bricks and um, the fire and all of that. And he was in between takes, he was like FaceTiming his friends in India. And I was like, oh yeah, this is a cool young priest. Um, he, was dope. he was so great. He was perfect. That's awesome. I love knowing that. Um, I, I wanted to ask though, you know, I think we're still sort of the, the 
authenticity of storytelling for, for our community, for the Desi community, balancing with that sort of like notion of capital R representation and, and the expectations of what Indian American storytelling can look like, or maybe quote should look like, uh, how do you balance that? Like, how do you, when you're telling the story, like, how do you balance those two ideas? Because I think there's a little bit of a divide between authentic storytelling and that sort of like representational storytelling. Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. I think we have to go a hundred percent towards authenticity. I think the, some of the best compliments I was receiving early on was, you know, when I approached Parvesh China to play Jimmy. (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) Yeah. The funny manager at the Patel brothers, he killed it. It made us crack, like cracked us (laughs) up every take. Um, But he finished reading the script and he told me, he's like, I learned so much about Bengali culture. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I think that's the key right there. So what happens, you know, I've been in Hollywood for a while. I've been auditioning. I've I've gotten scripts across my desk that, you know, tell the so-called Indian story. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, we can't tell the Indian story because we're so many different people. And And I want to see the Gujarati story, yeah. the Punjabi story. I want to see the South Indian story. We all have different foods. We all have different traditions. Yeah, we do have a lot of similarities, but I think what Western media tends to do is put us, lump us all together. Mm-hmm. And so the beauty of it, I think, is in the specificity of who your characters are and writing to that. And um, a really good example of it in my movie, which, which I didn't even think like people were like, oh, how did you make a movie that's set in the middle of Pennsylvania? And there's, you know, it's all like, <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was like, well, this is, this is how I grew up. You know, I did have my friends at school, but then on the weekends and, mm-hmm. you know, celebrations and Thanksgivings, I was surrounded by Indian American families that my parents had uh, made bonds with. And so I, I really think it is about the specificity and, and in that you will get authenticity and in that you will get the so-called representation that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, um, even today I'm, I'm reading scripts that are coming across my desk for me to consider directing and, and they are about arranged marriage. And I just, I, I honestly <sighs> won't ask the first or second page and it's a, it's a respectful pass for me, <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's, there's more to us than that tired old story. Um, and I think what's interesting about that is that me or none of my friends have ever dealt with arranged marriage it's more of a parents generation thing and so that is always surprising to me when I get those scripts mental health features quite heavily in the story um and I I don't want to spoil anything but it's it's a part of the the family you've created and so why was that something you wanted to include like why was it important to you for that to be a piece of it so like I said, I, I grew up near two temples, one South Indian, one North Indian. I was going to the 
South Indian temple for Parthnatim classes on Sundays, mm-hmm. my friends. And then I went to Hindu Jain temple summer camp, overnight camp in Lake Erie. Um, and I was just hanging out with a lot of Indian Americans and started to notice as we got into, you know, middle school, high school, uh, you know, kids would run away from home. Uh, kids were obviously suffering from depression, anxiety, pressure from, you know, getting into the AP classes, getting the fives on those tests. Um, what are their SAT scores? What college are they going to? Had to get into an Ivy League. Um, what six-year med program are they getting into? And and when they would run away from home or have some sort of you know attack, my all of our parents or their parents would be like, "Oh, what? Well, we have no idea what is happening." You know, like they have. Mm-hmm everything they could ask for. We feed them it's a nice home. And, um, but we, none of us like had the words to say what was going on and nobody wanted to talk about it. And, um, nobody would obviously say therapy or depression or bipolar or anxiety. Um, and, and then when I went to case Western, which is primarily a science and tech school, I saw the same thing happening but within, within an even larger, not just Indian American community, but Asian American community. And I saw it happening and, and this would lead to, not to bring it down, but this would lead to suicides. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, oh, this is like a big thing in our culture that we don't talk about mental health. And, and I just wanted to bring it out in the open and hopefully start a conversation with, with the movie. So like, like I said earlier, you wrote, directed, starred, did all of the things for this movie. Is there one lane that you feel more comfortable in? Is there something that you gravitate more towards? Like what, what is the most exciting part of it for you? I mean, I will always love acting. It's my first love. So I started writing because I wasn't auditioning for the roles that I felt like I wanted to audition for. I created the role that I wanted to star in. And that was the main goal. And so as I started writing, I was like, oh, I'm, a, I'm an okay <laughs> writer. And uh, in my scripts, you know, I took back in college, I took a semester of screenwriting. I took a semester of playwriting and I went back and was like, I know I wrote a play. I wrote a script <laughs> back in those days. And I went back and I was like, is there something I can salvage from those scripts? And they're terrible. So, <laughs> so I was like, oh, I, I have come a long way. And that's the beauty of writing. The more you write, the better you get. Mm-hmm. And, and each script is better and better. And it may not be perfect, but we can't wait for perfection to right. put our art out there. And so I truly believe that. And, you know, you, you make something, you put it out, you learn from it, and then you move on to your next thing and you keep going. It's all about your body of work, which is exciting to me. And so- I really also enjoyed directing. It was fun being the boss. And and I think my, my experience as an actor really was key in terms of directing, because I know how I personally like to be directed. Mm -hmm. And I channeled some of my favorite directors from Insecure, Debbie Allen and Tina Mabry during my scenes, because they were not only super confident, knew exactly what they wanted, but 
But on the other side of that, they were very nurturing and just lovely to the actors. And even if you had one line, they would make you feel like you were the star. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's a cool way to approach directing. So, so I tried to just be like, okay, be like Debbie Allen, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that was my mantra. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, I like to ask sort of all of our guests, what are some projects or, or works by other South Asian and diasporic creatives that you're excited about? I'm excited about these other brown female filmmakers that I connected with actually during the pandemic. So Maureen Barucha, she did Golden Arm. She just really has a flair for comedy and I'm excited for her next project. Um, Geeta Malik, she did India Sweets and Spices. She's so supportive, so cool just want all the best things for her. Um, Aram Parveen Bilal, who did I'll Meet You There, which got sidetracked because of COVID. It was supposed to uh, premiere at South by Southwest, um, and but it's out now. And um, Minhal Beg, who did Hala, uh, I think in 2017, when I was there at Sundance for Justin's film, Gook, um, I also saw Hala there and I was blown away. Um, once again, by the specificity and the beauty of the movie. And I'm excited to see what she does next. So I think there's this really cool um, squad of brown female filmmakers that are just doing it no matter what. And it's, it's exciting. What is next for you? I wrote a bunch of scripts over the pandemic. So working on my next feature, getting it off the ground in terms of financing and pre-production, I would shoot it back in Pennsylvania, (laughs) (laughs) my favorite place. And uh, yeah, I would love to shoot that this year. And then I'm pitching around a few different shows. I'm excited about all of it and just getting more stories out there that are told authentically. And lastly, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Sujata Day, but also please follow the movie at Definition Please, Instagram, Facebook, and then on Twitter, it's D-E-F-N, please. And of course, you can stream Definition Please on Netflix right now, which is the most exciting thing. It's the most exciting thing. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. This was, this was awesome. Thanks, Brithy. This was great. Daisy Geek Girls is part of the Hard Knock Life podcast network. You can find all the podcasts in the Hard Knock Media family at hardknockmedia.com. That's N-O-C for nerds of color. And a huge thanks to our Patreon supporters. Thank you to Meredith and Rita at the $12 level. And Amber, Jordan, Annie, Brandy, Claire, Brian, Robert, Chris, the Knott family, Priya, Geshev, Ruth, and Gavita at the $5 level. You can uh, come over to Patreon at patreon.com slash Girls if you'd like to be a part of it. Uh, otherwise, you can find us on social at Twitter uh, at Girls. I am at runwithskizzers, S-K-I-Z-Z-E-R-S. Uh, and until next time, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> <laughs>